welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to Series 11 and Episode 2. We're in the city of Jerusalem and in this episode, Jesus cleanses or clears the temple for a second time. He did it once at the beginning of his ministry and now at the end he's doing something very similar. We're going to be following the story largely from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 11 verses 12 to 19 is the main text that we're going to look at in this episode but we're going to refer to the other accounts as well because they offer us some important details. Many of you will have been following the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem right at the end of his ministry in earlier episodes. But let's just remind ourselves of some of the key events that have happened in the story just before the event that we're going to look at today. It's been an incredibly dramatic time. For a number of months, Jesus has been traveling south from his home area, district, Galilee, in the north of the country, heading to Jerusalem, the capital city for one last visit, one final visit. And he's given lots of indications along the way that this is going to be a showdown. This is going to bring his ministry to a conclusion, to a climax and tragic and glorious events are going to happen all at once in Jerusalem. He's warned his disciples on a number of occasions that when he gets to Jerusalem, there'll be conflict with the religious authorities. He'll be tried and he'll be executed and he'll then miraculously be raised again from the dead. The sense of tension and conflict is evident in the stories that we've been looking at in recent episodes as the crowds keep gathering around Jesus as he approaches Jerusalem and as the opposition from the religious leaders intensifies as they get more and more anxious about what will happen when Jesus actually arrives in the city if people are so supportive of him that the crowds are in his favour. It's a tense situation. And as we've looked at in earlier episodes, in the background of this very dramatic series of events is some prophetic material from the Old Testament, which was in the minds of the Jewish people concerning the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Servant of the Lord, the Messiah, all these titles applied to this unique divine human figure who the Jews expected. And they expected that the Messiah, when he comes, coming in the name of God, the God of Israel, would bring about a major spiritual, moral and political and economic revolution in the country. And particularly, their expectation was that he would get rid of foreign rulers, in this case the Romans, and corrupt religious leaders, in this case the priesthood and the Jewish religious ruling council called the Sanhedrin. We've discussed these on a number of occasions before and given some description about their roles. So this messianic expectation is there in the background. And Jesus has recently performed some remarkable miracles the most significant of which took place in a village just a few kilometres outside Jerusalem called Bethany. And at Bethany, not long before this event, he had raised a man called Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb four days. He brought him out of the tomb and caused him to be raised from the dead. 
This had caused a sensation in Jerusalem. And then most recently, Jesus had been traveling through the nearby city of Jericho, where vast crowds gathered. He performed a great miracle, healing two blind men. He took a tax collector, Zacchaeus, and and brought him to faith. Then as he was in the city of Jericho, as we described last time in the last episode, as described in Luke 19 verse 11, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, this statement here indicates that in the imagination of many of the crowds, they thought that when Jesus comes to Jerusalem this time, he's going to bring off a final political overthrow and spiritual transformation of the nation in accordance with some of the prophecies they read in the Old Testament in books like Isaiah. So there's a fevered atmosphere as Jesus approaches Jerusalem. And in the last episode, we notice that Jesus coming from Jericho, had come to Bethany, that village just a few kilometers outside Jerusalem within walking distance. And he was obviously going to stay in Bethany. This was the village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, the family that he was very closely associated with and friends with. He was going to stay there with his disciples and he was going to use that as a base for going into Jerusalem at a particularly significant time because the time of these events was one of the major Jewish religious festivals, the festival of Passover. As we've mentioned on a number of occasions in earlier episodes, there were three main festivals, religious festivals that took place regularly every year. In March or April came Passover, then in May or June came Pentecost, then in September or October came Tabernacles, three major religious festivals based in the law of Moses, which the Jews had followed for hundreds of years. Now, during these festivals, the city of Jerusalem was particularly crowded because pilgrims would come from all over the country, including Galilee in the north. And also they'd come from other countries as well. Jews who'd been dispersed around the Roman world and in Persia and in other areas. They would travel long distance to be in Jerusalem for a couple of weeks, perhaps, to celebrate the main religious uh, events. We're going to talk a little bit more about the details of the Passover as this series and the following series continue, because it's a major theme of Jesus's symbolic actions and is closely connected to his death on the cross. So here we are in the season of Passover, and in the last episode... Jesus went from Bethany, walking towards Jerusalem, and he walked across the Mount of Olives, which is a small hill slightly higher than the city of Jerusalem, from which you get an excellent view of the city. You can look down on the walls and you can see the city nestling within the walls, and you can see right in the center of the city the huge temple building, which was by far the largest building in the city in those days. Modern tourists can go to the Mount of Olives and get a view and take a photograph of the modern old city of Jerusalem. And that's a popular thing to do. Well, something similar was taking place these 2000 years ago. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and then he went down into the valley between the Mount of Olives and the city and then up the other side and through the gates of the city into Jerusalem. 
And in the last episode, that's what Jesus did. It's called the triumphal entry. The traditional church calendar places this on a day which we call Palm Sunday. And as we looked at the last episode, we saw that uh, he gathered huge crowds, people who traveled from Galilee, local people from Jerusalem, people from Bethany, people who traveled up from Jericho, other people traveling, other interested people who happened to be around. Jesus was now well known in the nation of Israel and huge crowds gathered and there was a sense of expectation that his coming into Jerusalem was somehow or other going to be hugely significant, going to be a kind of messianic event. It was going to bring about the change in the nation of Israel fundamentally through political and religious and economic means, basically taking over the country. And we saw in Matthew's account last time the details of this, and I'm just going to give you the summary from Mark's point of view because we're going to be focusing on Mark's gospel today. I'm just going to read as an introduction Mark 11 verses 9 to 11, which just precedes the main passage we're going to look at, where Mark describes the acclamations and the cries from the crowds and the chanting that went on as Jesus came into Jerusalem. They laid their cloaks along the road. They had palm branches which they were waving or laying on the road and in verse 9 he says those who went ahead and those who followed shouted Hosanna which means either God save us or praise God blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord well that's a quotation from Psalm 118 which was described by the Jews at the time as a messianic call that he who comes in the name of the Lord would be the Messiah Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So they anticipated that Jesus would bring back the kingdom of King David, which was promised to be an eternal kingdom in the Old Testament. We looked at that in more detail in the last episode, referring to the prophecy of 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, where God made a covenant with David and said his dynasty would last forever. So they're waiting for the successor of King David to come and redeem the nation. And Jesus was biologically connected to King David. And they were beginning to call him the son of David. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Well, these are the events of Palm Sunday. And they were very dramatic. And now we're turning to the events of the next day, bearing in mind that we're now in the week, which we call the Passion Week, starting on Palm Sunday and ending on Easter Sunday, starting with a triumphal entry and ending in the resurrection with a crucifixion on Friday of that week. We're going to read Mark's account there's less detail in Luke and Matthew compresses the narrative slightly and Mark gives the fullest narrative and as is common we take the fullest account and use that as the basis for teaching and explaining and telling the story. So let's read Mark 11, 12 to 14. The next day, that's Monday, 
As they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, this is a very intriguing story. Something happens on the way between Bethany and Jerusalem, just a few kilometers, a walking distance. And Jesus is hungry. He sees a fig tree. Fig trees were common in Israel. And he's looking for some fruit, some early figs. Now, fig trees didn't come into full fruition until about June in Israel, in the early summer. But if they had well-developed leaves at this time of the year, March or April, sometimes they would have some early figs. And Jesus was probably looking for these early figs, little ones, the beginnings of the figs to come. And he saw a tree that was well established with its leaves, perhaps more so than others, perhaps an early producer of leaves on that particular season. And he looked and he didn't see any fruit. So he makes this strange statement May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He curses the tree. Now, Matthew 21 verse 19 in the similar account notes, immediately the tree withered. And then Jesus moves on to Jerusalem. Now, we're going to come back to this fig tree in the next episode because Jesus uses the event that has just happened as a means of teaching about faith and about prayer and about the kingdom of God and the obstacles to the kingdom of God. But we don't want to get to that yet. That's in the next episode. Our focus today is not the journey to Jerusalem, but what happens when he gets into the city and gets into the temple compound again. However, there is an interesting question we can answer now. What did the fig tree symbolise, if anything? Now, the interesting thing is that the fig tree was a symbol occasionally and in some contexts for the nation of Israel. There are some verses in the Old Testament which suggest this possibility. Jeremiah 24 verse 1, Hosea 9 verse 10. Nahum 3 verse 12 have been suggested and others could be named. Israel as the fig tree, that is going to be cursed. This is a possible interpretation of the significance of this particular event. But even more important than that possibility is an earlier parable that Jesus told that we discussed in uh, an earlier episode. I'm just going to read it again. It comes from Luke 13, verses 6 to 9. 
Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, this particular parable is told in the context of Jesus warning the people of Israel that time is short in terms of their opportunity to respond to his claim to be Messiah. They need to make a decision. And it's interesting, this parable follows that teaching and it describes a three-year period, approximately the period of the ministry of Jesus and the fact that one more opportunity, one more year would be given. So this could be a representation of the full extent of Jesus' ministry. And basically, the fig tree is in a last chance situation. It needs to be productive quickly or it's going to be cut down. It's interesting that we have a fig tree here in Mark chapter 11 and it's interesting that this is a time when Jesus is predicting most decisively the forthcoming judgment on the nation of Israel if they fail to believe in him as the Messiah. So it's an interesting comparison. And the fig tree could also represent not just Israel, but the religious establishment in Israel. And it's the religious establishment that Jesus is targeting very particularly at this time in terms of his prophetic actions and his teaching. That establishment being the high priest and the priests who ran the temple and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that had jurisdiction over the conduct of the Jewish faith. They made decisions about how the faith should be organized in the nation of Israel. We're going to come back to this fig tree because there's something very significant happens in the next episode when the disciples and Jesus walk past the fig tree a second time and there it is withered away. But let's now press on with the story because the main point of the story comes in the next events. Verses 15 to 19 of Mark 11. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is a very dramatic event. And 
For those of you who followed through the story of the Gospels and have been with us on the journey, you'll know that Jesus uh, did something very similar at the beginning of his ministry. At the very beginning, when he went up to Jerusalem for the first time, as recorded in John chapter 2, he also cleared the temple trading area. And he's doing the same thing again. And in order just to set the scene and understand the context, we need to remember just some things about the Jewish temple. Things that I've mentioned in passing in different episodes as we've encountered the Jewish temple in some earlier parts of Jesus' ministry. But now the temple becomes very central. You'll remember that the temple is the largest building, was a huge building in the centre of the city of Jerusalem. It was the spiritual heart of the Jewish faith, the place where Jews believed that God met mankind in person and where sacrifices were given, animal sacrifices were given according to the law of Moses to atone for sin and to bring ceremonial forgiveness to the Jewish worshippers. People came here on those three major festivals that I've mentioned. They came here at many other times as well. And the priests organized all the activity in the temple. There was a very central area called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place where only the high priest could go once a year behind a curtain. Then there was the Holy Place where the priests operated and conducted all the sacrifices and some of the other rituals of the temple. And then there was a place where men could watch what was going on in the holy place. Then there was a place where women, Jewish women, could gather and pray. And then there was a a large area around that, which we call the temple courts, where anybody could go. Gentiles, non-Jews, were allowed in this area. They weren't allowed in the central worshipping areas. They were reserved entirely for Jewish people. But the temple courts were a a big open area where people milled around, had conversation, prayed, reflected, read Old Testament scriptures, talked together, listened to rabbis teaching, socialized. And this was the area that Jesus went to. When he went to the temple in verse 15, he entered the temple courts. Now, in the temple courts, as we looked at when we looked at John chapter 2 in the first cleansing of the temple, there was a trading area. And this was controlled by the priests. And there were a number of commodities available. Two things in particular. Firstly, Jewish people had to pay what was called the temple tax in the treasury in the temple when they came up to the temple. But they couldn't use Roman coins, the official coinage of Israel at the time. They had to use temple coinage, specially created coinage by the Jews. So they had to exchange their Roman coins for the temple coinage in order to pay their temple tax. And in the exchange of money, there was a possibility of making a lot of money yourself by the interest rates that you charge, as is always the case when we exchange from one currency to another. So there was the exchange of coinage, but there was also the purchase of live animals and birds in preparation for sacrifice. And sometimes people would bring their own animals. They would be inspected by the priestly teams 
and the Levites working with them. Sometimes they were considered to be imperfect animals and then another one had to be bought or some people just came to buy the animal and they didn't bring anything with them. So there was a huge market for selling animals and again the prices could be inflated because this was a monopoly. The priestly class known as the sons of Annas, the father figure of the high priestly family, they controlled this and they made money out of it. And so Jesus goes to the temple and he challenges this. He began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned the table of the money changers and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. So for some time, Jesus took control of the market area. It's very remarkable. Here he is on his own, challenging the whole system. But no one was able to stop him because the crowds were with him. The crowds were supporting him. And he quoted the Old Testament saying that they had violated the purpose of the Old Testament for the temple. Is it not written, my house, the temple, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you made it a den of robbers? The traders are robbers. They're stealing off people because they're exploiting them through the monopoly. You're not focusing on prayer. You're focusing on trade. Jesus was being very challenging. And the supportive crowds made it very hard for the authorities to intervene. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. They began looking away to get rid of him, to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So he's got control of the situation. Then Matthew's account adds a few more details. Matthew 21 verses 14 to 16. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, lords, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. So healing took place. Children were running around in the temple, excited and thrilled, calling out, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, what's the significance of all this for our story? It's very dramatic. It's very interesting. But what's the significance? Here's some reflections. First thing I want to say is that Jesus is in charge of the events in this Passion Week, the last week of his life. He came and made a triumphal entry. He planned it, he organized it, he allowed it to happen, and he took control of the situation on Palm Sunday. And on this Monday, he's doing the same thing. He's being very provocative, very direct. He's being very prophetic. And he's creating a direct conflict with the religious authorities. A direct conflict with the religious authorities. He's in charge of events. He is bringing to fulfilment the necessary conflict between him and them. 
which will bring about his death and resurrection. His concern here is that Judaism is failing in its task of opening up the door to the Gentiles to believe. The temple is a place of corruption. It's not a place where access to God is easy or simple. There's a lot of money to be paid. There is concern for power and prestige on behalf of the Sanhedrin and the priests and the Levites, their assistants. Judaism is failing. It's corrupt. And even the temple is corrupt. According to Jesus, he's challenging that corruption head on. And during the next few days, we'll see ongoing confrontation because now the religious leaders begin to reflect and think, how can we stop this man? And they use a new tactic, which is to ask him difficult questions in public. And we'll see how this opens out in the next few episodes. But for today, we've noticed this amazing cleansing of the temple. Jesus is provoking this conflict. Jesus is challenging the temple institution. And he's indicating that there's going to be a new way of access to God, a simple, clear, open way that's going to be open to all people that he is going to bring about very shortly, which will, as we'll see, ultimately lead to the replacement of this temple. No longer will it be needed. But that's jumping ahead a little bit. We'll get to that story in due course. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.